0: Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and even strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution, as these podcasts will feature spoilers and some mature language.
1: This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on TAP we have RoboCop, starring Peter Weller, Nancy Allen, Kurtwood Smith, Ronnie Cox, directed by, oh look... Paul Verhoeven. <laughs> Who's that? Yeah, exactly. Welcome to Rice Smile Film starring <laughs> Paul Verhoeven. Yeah, exactly. We are here to unveil the third film in our corporation from Hellcask, Robocop from 1987. And uh, we'll be wrapping up uh, this discussion today with a nice detailed look at uh, Robocop. And I think we got a lot to talk about both thematically, story, casting. I mean, th- th- there's a lot going on in this movie course it's always nice to talk about paul verhoeven <laughs> but you know you know kind of just real quick a little preface uh, when i was kind of you know reading about this movie i caught wind a couple of weeks back when we did alien i mentioned a director neil blomkamp had aspirations to do an alien three that picks up where cameron's film left off well apparently neil blomkamp is actually helming uh a movie called Robocop Returns, which is actually going to ignore two two and three in the remake and pick up where this film leaves off.
0: Is it gonna be set on the um, shot on the set of halo yeah exactly yeah
1: <laughs> he was attached to that thing for years oh, it seemed like talking about making a great movie though right they ended up being district nine yeah talk about devo hell yeah shit. but yeah so that's that's the newest rumor and i and matt i told you this was going to happen mm-hmm. when halloween came out this new um you did this new one in october that this was going to be the new norm in hollywood was taking beloved franchises that have a good one or two entries And picking up where those leave off and just cutting all the fat and the excess and continuing from there.
0: Look, Jesse, I think here's the sad truth. I think the toughest gig in Hollywood right now is the spec screenplay writer. Mm -hmm. For those of you who don't know what that is, spec screenplay is like original story drafted through screenplay. Mm -hmm. What Hollywood wants is established Mm -hmm. audiences for pre-established entities. Mm -hmm. So if you have... A sequel or a prequel or just a flat-out remake that you can do. It's going to beat mm-hmm. the new idea because the new idea is just too risky. So they'd rather mm-hmm. get into what's going to be part of this podcast here in just a minute. Yeah. Something that's reheated or rehashed mm-hmm. versus something that's brand new. And I got to tell you, mm-hmm. it's killing me. It's why like, I'm hopeful that Us yeah. is not what I fear it's going to be, which yeah. is just a remake of Body Snatchers. Because there's been five versions of that movie. At least. Yep. And it's also my argument why I think it is going to be, because as much as I liked Get Out, and I really like that movie, mm-hmm. really like that film, yeah. it's the Stepford Wives just much more urban. Mm-hmm. So, my little rant on that is, I hope that some of these reheated, redo, let's relaunch the franchises continue to kind of fail Mm -hmm. because then we'll get some fresh ideas and there's a lot of fresh stories that are sitting on production studio shelves definitely that have been optioned and are just sitting and Mm -hmm. sitting and sitting
1: yep so yeah we'll see though i I love that i think we might see a few of them again have to wait until like one of them fails before we can kind of move on from this trend. but i think it's gonna happen for a while yeah I'm just trying to think of what other franchise... Like, you know, Predator could probably fall into that. Oh, no. If the new... The the sixth... Con- or what is
0: it? The fifth Conan does well. Yeah. And Triplets does well. Mm-hmm. Which we talked about in the last podcast mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah. It's all going to get redone. Exactly. We're going to get another version of
1: Back to the Future. It's coming. Yeah. It's coming. A oh, Back to the Future that ignores two and three. With Zach Efron. Yeah.
0: And Michael Keaton... Or, or I'm sorry, uh, Michael J. Fox... Yeah. Will be... You know, whatever version of him that's still able to be there will probably... You can just see it. Exactly. Is Die Hard coming too?
1: Okay, so no joke. They're actually... The next Die Hard iteration is actually a prequel called McLean. I think Willis is in it, but only in flashback, and they're going to do a younger actor. So there's another instance where they're not restarting the franchise. They're just telling the story before, which... Lethal Weapon's a television show. Yep so yeah there's any weapons a television show exactly what i think this is the perfect lead-in because you know we're we're talking about you know ideas being reheated the film on the docket for today is robocop which had a remake uh, done in 2014 and for those of you who haven't seen it don't bother it totally pales in comparison to what we're going to be talking about pg-13 cgi heavy But then again, listen to the cast. Listen to this cast. I don't know why this sucked. (laughs) Joel Kinnaman, which we're a fan of from from, from The Killing. From The Killing. Gary Oldman, Michael Keaton, Samuel L. Jackson, Jackie Earl Haley. Like, That's a great cast right there. With better special effects and a bigger budget because they made the original Robocop for $13 million. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I don't know how that fell off the rails. It is a pretty tame PG-13 compared to the hard R that this film is. And I think it's missing the soul of RoboCop. And it's just another one of these in-the-line remakes. So with that being said, there's been a lot, especially in the last 20 years. Uh, So Matt, to you, my question is, what is the worst remake?
0: Like you said, there's a lot to choose from. So I'm going to go to a remake that's a remake of a film that wasn't terrific to begin with. Uh, We all love Starsky and Hutch. But one of David Sowell's more forgettable moments is his performance in the original Salem's Lot. Mm-hmm. But that movie is really important for me. I was <clears throat> eight when I saw that movie. And that, Jesse, for me, was my first introduction into horror. Okay. At that point in my life, I was fascinated and terrified by the little bit of information that I had on vampires. And it all stemmed from my elementary, Mitchell Elementary. Shout out to the Mustangs. Mm-hmm. Mitch and Miss Rayburn, my librarian. <laughs> And I think you told me you read these same books, too, when you went there. Yes. Crazy that we went to the same elementary school. Yeah, They had a classic series of Universal's monsters. And my favorite one, when I was old enough to get it, which was in the second grade, when we got to check out that portion of books, Mm -hmm. was Dracula. Yeah. And so I picked it up. And in there, like I just was fascinated by this monster. It Mm -hmm. just was intriguing to me. Anyway, it launched my interest into vampires, although with great trepidation, right? Yeah. So I came to know about Salem's Lot through my mom, who actually had the book mm. on our shelf at home. Oh, wow. And I never read it. And she said she wouldn't let me read it because it was just too scary. <laughs> but at that time, no, I'm in third grade now, mm. HBO was showing that made for, I don't know what, $5 version of
1: Salem's Lot. Directed by Toby Hooper. Who Toby had Hooper. Poltergeist and Texas Chainsaw.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. So I think this is his follow-up to Texas Chainsaw, if I'm yeah, not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, so pretty good hands for horror. Yeah. Not done terrifically well, but regardless. Um, I caught it one afternoon in my little HBO TV guide mm-hmm. at 3.30. It happened to be on the afternoon one afternoon at 3.30 because it was not rated. So they wouldn't show our stuff till after 10. Mm-hmm. I was always asleep, but this didn't have a rating. Yeah. So I'm sitting there and I turn it on. It's pretty slow. I'm like, yeah, this doesn't seem too bad, but this is my first foray into horror. And the moment that Glick mm-hmm. shows up at the window...
1: Yep.
0: and start strumming his nails on his brother's window changed my life. Yep. cuz I was absolutely petrified mm-hmm. and I couldn't get up from the chair to go turn it off. Mm-hmm. And guess who came into the room? Your mom. My mom. Yeah. And she was pissed. What have you been watching? <laughs> yeah, and that's like at 20 minutes in. So yep. really nothing had even happened. Yep. Somehow through some act of negotiation, she let me finish the film, and I think she actually sat and watched it with me. Okay. And Jesse, I got to tell you, I didn't sleep for weeks. Mm. Okay, so that's a long story <laughs> yeah, to that's... what I'm going to get
1: to, which is, I think it's
0: 04? Yeah. The remake uh, of, of Salem's Lot that they did on TNT.
1: Rob Lowe, Rob Lowe. Rutger Hauer.
0: That's actually a better cast than sure. what the original yeah. one had. I think well, Donald
1: Sutherland, too.
0: Right. Um. Uh, they changed the story. Um, Barlow was terrible. It just, it was awful. And so that's what I'm going to tell you. And I know that's not silver screen. Yeah. And the original Salem's Lot was also barely silver screen. But for me, that's that's the worst remake ever because they treaded on like my hallowed ground of my entry into horror with that hunk of junk and Jesse. That story could be done really well. Like all they got to do is find a way to like just stick
1: to the story. Yeah. Just tell the book. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe maybe we're but it's King, if maybe that's any indicating of where we're going in the weeks to come. Hmm. But I'm with you, and I think we'd probably agree based on, and we haven't read all of Stephen King's oeuvre, but of what we have read, I think we're in agreement that I think Salem's Lot is probably one of one of his best works. It's certainly my favorite. My favorite as well. Yeah, my I like favorite. I like the, I like
0: the third entry in the Dark Tower a lot, mm-hmm. but I also really really love say like. I, I, when I was teaching seventh graders, I've read that to my kids in seventh grade, yeah. and they loved it.
1: Yeah, like something about the take systematic takeover of this tiny town yeah. of vampires, and only a few people know about, it and they're trying to do something about it. It's, it's it's terrifying. And this was when I first got into the writing of Stephen King, and I was like, this guy writes books different than anyone else I've read. You feel the blood of that town and the people that inhabit it. Mm-hmm. It's a fantastic book. So I wonder if that's part of the problem. Is yeah. There's a lot of detail there, and there's a lot to be left out. Like, what do you trim? What do you leave in? That, you know, it hasn't translated well to adaptation yet. I think it could be done cinematically on the film. Tell me a three and a half hour movie with done with the right effects. Like, that, that could be done. So... I don't disagree with you. Yeah. So, good choice. Good choice. Thanks. Are it's you... funny. We're going to end up telling similar stories here with where we're going. So Okay. What's yours. Yeah, for those of you that, you know, know me personally and, and you, Matt... Um, you know that like the top of my film a mountain my Mount Rushmore is John Carpenter's Halloween mm-hmm. and I saw that film in a similar way that you did on cable sci-fi channel four o'clock on a weekend didn't really know what I was watching but had you know heard of this movie had heard the music mm-hmm. watched it and much like your, and I watched it on cable so all the all the good bits were cut out Yep, commercials yeah had nightmares for weeks. I could not shake this feeling of this boogeyman in this small town, where it could literally be any town, USA, and that really troubled me. But again, like yourself, kind of piqued a uh, curiosity. Yeah, a fuel that must be fed, a fire that must be fed. So that that sent me down the road to to horror, which. For those of you that don't like scary movies, you know, you you can like whatever you want, but for those that do and know a good horror movie, when you see it and all the cult classics, what an awesome road to go down. Cause man, there's some great stuff down there. So in 2007, when we kind of caught wind that there was a remake in place, going to be directed by Rob Zombie, I was kind of scared already. More so that I was like, how are they going to top the original? But also, you know, what's that going to be like? Like, like, And it was going to focus more on the origins of Myers leading up to, you know, why he became a killer. So I went to see the movie and actually when my friends tried to sneak in because he wasn't 18 yet. Got kicked out. I actually had to sit and watch the movie by myself. And I got to give you this, you know, Rob Zombie has a tone with his films. I actually kind of like The Devil's Rejects. Yeah. It's a pretty intense movie. And he has a tone that like is excessive is maybe the definition I could use. And get into this movie of this white trash, Michael Myers living in some meth house with abusive stepfather, this horrible life, is not what I picture when I watch Carpenter's original film. And this horrific excess of violence. You know, it's something to stab someone once in Carpenter's films, but zombie, it once isn't enough. You gotta be stabbed like 15 times before. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. I think you'll remember the bit where... Um, he attacks the boy with, with the uh, with the uh, the stick outside, mm-hmm. and it's it's like fifteen whacks, and you're just like, oh my god, like that's enough. Yeah. So between the excess and the direction of the story, and again, I think I mentioned a couple weeks ago about prequels, and I like evil as an absolute, and I don't need to know why that thing went bad, Darth Vader, Myers, etc.
0: Yeah.
1: There's just stuff in there that I don't need, so. I think it's very sacrilegious to the original, but it's on a high pinnacle for me, that I just can't do that movie. And I went and saw the sequel, and it got, man, it got it got bad shit. So mm-hmm. that's the one I'm gonna pick, just because that's that's a close remake for me that I wish wasn't a part of the legacy of Halloween.
0: Halloween doesn't have the same legacy for me that it does to you. Mm-hmm. I still also really appreciate that film, mm-hmm. and I think in the annals of horror, it's. Iconoclastic would be an understatement. Yep. Leaving that theater that night, I remember thinking to myself, I need to go see something else just to get this out of my system so I can... Go take a shower, like... (laughs) Yeah, but a shower in, like, cinema that's not so troubling. And I'm okay with troubling cinema, Mm -hmm. having been through Dusan Machiavelli multiple times, whether it be, you know, Sweet Movie or um, Montenegro. Like, I've been down that road a little bit, too. Yeah. But that film... It just like in the seat. It wasn't that I was story uncomfortable. It's that, and maybe that's what he was going for. And mm-hmm. I guess if that's the case, then he succeeded. Exactly. It it was like the axis of my film viewing was rotated or spun seven to ten degrees where it should have been, and I had to get it back because I just didn't feel right. Because that movie was just so, it was bad, mm-hmm. and then and then not done well mm-hmm. on top of it. Yeah. Um, I think another one that kind of is sort of in that, that on I didn't see it, but you've talked about it, is mm-hmm. the Poughkeepsie tapes, yeah. right? Like, what did I just sit through?
1: Yeah, oh, just an uncomfortable film experience.
0: You know, I'm curious, and maybe the people that are listening to the podcast could hit that, hit up the email on this. We'll get mm-hmm. to you at the end. I'd like to know, like, from a young age for them, mm-hmm. what that first moment, that similar moment in film is where they saw that movie that wasn't, well maybe Bambi Bambi probably did that for a lot of young
1: people too like that but traumatic thing that
0: kind of changed you and sort of like lit that fire of film in you mm-hmm. Salem's Lot for me mm-hmm. Salem's Lot yeah and then Halloween I guess is for you yeah I'd like to know and it's interesting I wonder how many find it through horror because mm-hmm. today
1: I, you and I both still yeah love horror and again, you you mentioned those, those those movies, and i I can handle extreme. sure, like I've seen a ton, like there's yep. not a lot that shakes me. The zombies film, again, yeah, left me just like, yeah, I gotta do something to kind of get this feel off of me. It's like almost like a stench. It's weird. so yeah, so I, yeah, Halloween, worst remake, well- made movie, like it's nicely shot and everything, but yeah. it is what it is. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, excellent. I think we're warmed up. We got the rye cooking here. Yep. And let's get into happy hour time. We're going to start with our review of RoboCop. Welcome to Media Break. Give us three minutes and we'll give you the world. Today's top story, RoboCop. Who is he? What is he? What is this film? We open up with these newscasts that kind of depict the world's events in three minutes' time. And right from the get-go, you kind of feel that this is a different world. Whether I don't know what year RoboCop takes place in. I don't know if it's supposed to be directly 1987 or some like distant future but the media shows signs of these big events that they kind of just like oh not a big deal oh (laughs) this is just another day so this media influence and you see this in these three newscasts we get three of them filtered with fake commercials and um you know fake fake programming littered throughout this 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 movie so we're getting to our first big heavy theme of robocop which is media Hmm. influence Kind of catching the world up with our corporation that we're going to be talking about, Omni Consumer Products, and what they're doing in the city of Detroit. But the one of these newscasts, Matt, that actually cracks me up the most, I think it's the last, the last one. Is uh, they're talking about the the laser defense system that's orbiting the world that sent a fire into like Northern California that so killed like two a, former presidents. Two former presidents, and they just move on to the next story. Don't like, even mention who. That would be huge news, whether that's Reagan Bush, Bush Clinton, whatever. Like the news would be talking about that for weeks Oh yeah. and it's a 22nd little bit for them where it's, it's not a big deal.
0: It is. It, um, and it sets the tone for sort of the irreverence mm-hmm. of uh, mortality, I guess, in the film that I feel like is carried throughout the whole film. Life is really disposable in this movie. Oh yes. Um, Interesting, one of the two newscasters is, in fact, Lisa Gibbons. Okay. Uh, I don't know if this is her first appearance as a newscaster, but (laughs) she's going to have quite a career as a newscaster. Sure, sure. But, like, you go from that, and then the other, I think it's the second newscast. There's a moment that gets me in the second newscast is when the doctor's advertising for the heart. Yeah. Built to suit the kind of lifestyle that you lead. Mm -hmm. And so now we're getting into the consumerism part of this. Mm Mm-hmm. And how far society, although not dystopic, because I do think actually do think it's 1987, or not too far from 1987. Yeah. And again, (laughs) hope there's no listeners in Detroit, but like there's a lot of people that probably say, well, that is an actual (laughs) dystopia. Yeah. um, To take place in Detroit, the the level of lawlessness. And as we'll get into the story, sort of the, the role of like labor as far as organized, not so much as, as a verb, but as a noun, like mm-hmm. the, the union influence, which is a huge part of this film too. Um, everything is for sale. Mm-hmm. So it's not about the presidents that died, like you said, it's about more the shock value and then in and out.
1: Selling the commercials in between.
0: Shockly. To me, Jesse, this movie is shockingly poignant right now, mm-hmm. as we live in 140 tweets in
1: six seconds or less. Yep. I think about this thing in 1987. The 80s had saw the emergence of these 24-hour news stations, CNN. Yep. And I can't remember what year Fox News started. It's, pretty, it's, it's probably around the same time. 90, I think.
0: But yeah, right there.
1: So we're in this time of 24-hour news coverage yep. where the media is playing influence, where they thrive on breaking news. Right. And we kind of see that in these these newscasts. And these commercials are just absolutely hilarious. And we get the second one. Is the best one. I'm gonna. It's so good. I have to. It's gonna be one of the clips in this thing. Okay. Nukem, the quality family game from <laughs> Butler. You haven't, dis- you haven't dismantled your level. MX stockpile yet, like oh, and this family, this this white American family is playing this game. Yep. It's just, it's just hilarious. Mm-hmm. It is. So we go directly from that to the introduction of Detroit's uh, police force and the introduction of Alex Murphy, played by Peter Weller. This new cop, this transfer, he's transferring from retro south. So he's come from a pretty cushy neighborhood to hell. Literally said that by one of his new co workers. And Peter Weller's an interesting choice. I think an interesting actor just in general. I mainly associate this film with him. Sure. But originally possibly considered Rutger Hauer and Michael Ironside. But think of them. Those are some kind of more largely built men, broader shoulders. So when they tried the suits on with them, they kind of looked a little ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So Verhoeven kind of said, we need a more slender built actor that can fit in the suit, but then make the animations come to life of the robotics. And I think we see that. And, and Peter Weller actually spent a lot of time with a mind coach, kind of studying movement versus, you know, how you get to... And I don't know how close attention you paid to, to him. And I think this is why the sequels and the remakes suffered. Which is the way he moves when in the suit later on in the film. Yeah. He would move his head and then the torso. Body to it.
0: I absolutely
1: saw it. Yeah. Or when he's in the chair and he's moving to here, to here. And it's a very jerky movement and and, and accompanied greatly by Academy Award-winning sound effects. But that's all him making those moves. Like I think that's, that's a brilliant performance that's body language. And I think, you know, especially when you... Thinking about actors that betray Batman, this is all you see. Right. So there's got to be a lot of, you know, animation there as well. So now we learn that, you know, cops are just, it sounds like they're dying weekly here at this precinct.
0: Getting wiped out.
1: Funerals every week. The cops are fed up. They want to go on strike, which is crazy to say the least. Yeah. And we're introduced to Murphy's new partner, Ann Lewis, this, um, this female partner who can pretty much handle her own. And... A lot with her later on in the movie, especially at the end, that I want to mention. But they're out to start their day, and Alex Murphy's going into this not knowing this is he's got about maybe two hours left of life, which is that's kind of difficult to fathom. Mm-hmm. Directly from that, we go to Omni Consumer Products, which is OCP. our final corporation. And of any of the corporations we've talked about in these podcasts, I think the presence and the heavy handedness of this one is. Definitely felt in this movie.
0: Right away, we're introduced to the Omni Consumer Products. Board of President, Directors. Board of Directors. And the head is Dick Jones, right? Mm-hmm. And...
1: Oh, and then the old man, which he doesn't even have a name.
0: They don't name him because Dick Jones any minute is ready to take over. And his introduction to the board is blah, 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 blah. And then <clears throat> the wave of criminal justice reform coming forward. Mm-hmm um r2d2 on steroids right the ed 209 the ed 209 comes in and god gets back to what i just said yeah they set up a simulation with one of the board members where they give him a gun Mm -hmm. and ed 209 is going to give this guy the countdown to disarm himself so you have 20 seconds to drop the gun, boom boom, he sets the gun down and the ed 209 doesn't respond. You have 10 seconds to comply. So like five seconds left to go, the whole boardroom's in panic mode and everybody's
1: hiding behind each other. The best bit of that is like there's two seconds left and he's like coward with some guys, mm-hmm. and these guys literally push him. The irreverence, the the
0: the lack of respect for life. Exactly. And they shove him in front of Ed 209, and curtains is an understatement. <laughs> this scene unloads about 75 rounds in him. And here we go. Dick Jones' dynastic empire that's going to be the basis for justice in his new city, mm-hmm.
1: Delta City, mm-hmm. has just absolutely blown it. And I'll tell you the line that it just absolutely... It's talk about dark humor that just cracks me up. This guy's got 75 bullets in him. He's like... He falls on the model of Delta City. to Talk about a good image, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Bob Morton, who we're going to get into here in a second, says... Can somebody call a goddamn paramedic? Like, what good is that going to do? <laughs> like, exactly. He's dead as a doornail. Right. Let's talk a little bit about Delta City because we only hear about it, and Pat, we don't get to see the construction of it. But this kind of represents the gentrification of Robocop, which is these highfalutin, wealthy CEOs that are trying to break down the derelict, poor, crime ridden neighborhoods of Old Detroit. To build this new sprawling utopia for the rich.
0: I almost wonder... It, yeah. I, break down, I almost wonder if that's even the right way to say it. I think it's... Just forget. Mm-hmm. Just It's almost an act of betrayal. This area is just such a shit show. Yeah. We're going to leave it. And then we're going to go make Delta City. And we've got Ed 209. And this thing is <clears> going to <throat> be patrolling the streets. And there won't be anything. And what we're going to do then is we're going to take everybody that's significant... And they'll want to come to Delta City mm-hmm. and we'll leave the dregs down here. Yep. Literally, it's socioeconomic warfare happening in the boardroom. Yeah. And again, like one of the brilliant pieces of RoboCop that at times works and times doesn't also. Mm-hmm. Like, think about that. Mm-hmm. Talk about a great, great plot for a villain. Yep. I just want a safe place to live and If everybody else that gets in my way, this is going to happen. And will do it through something that's not fallible, that doesn't have the human condition, mm-hmm. a robot. Yep. Oh, it's kinda of, kinda of brilliant actually. Yeah.
1: Delta City. So um it's also in this board meeting that we learn this is very odd too, that this corporation, OCP, owns the Detroit police force. Yeah. Yeah. So where have we ever heard I d I don't know I don't know about the outside world, but that's like Amazon trying to run like Los Angeles Police Department. Doesn't that sound kind of crazy? It does. And it gets to another very common
0: and consistent theme in the movie. And it's the monetization of justice.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? So you're going to contract out your, your justice department mm-hmm. through a boardroom of CEOs who don't ever have to deal with mm-hmm. the dregs of so- society that they're hoping to protect. Mm-hmm. It's just... That That is such an interesting point of conflict in the story. Mm-hmm. I think Verhoeven really
1: nailed that. Yeah. And can we talk about Ronnie Cox as Dick Jones real quick? Sure. I only know Ronnie Cox from Deliverance and his right. proficient, proficient banjo playing. <laughs> but he allegedly had a um, reputation for playing the nice guy in, in films. Man, does he play just like the most unlikable asshole CEO in this film? Oh yeah. Like you're just like waiting for him, like, and I can't wait till you get yours, bro. Mm-hmm. So Ed T09's a flop. So how are we gonna control the crime in Detroit? Because it's a big problem.
0: Meanwhile, back in the police station, we've still got them at the street level. So all this is happening in yep. love that it's the
1: high rise. Mm-hmm. And at the street level, we still have the human element. Mm-hmm. Okay, keep going. So this is where Bob Morton's gonna make his pitch to the old man saying, I have a Robocop program And um, we're ready to go to prototype in 90 days. And he gives a very other eloquent line in the elevator where his co-worker says, well, when do we get started? He's like, as soon as some poor schmuck volunteers. Cut to that to Murphy uh, twirling his pistol outside the car, which is an element that's going to come back again and again. Um, And so we learn a little bit about Murphy, and he's got this family, and we're kind of liking the guy a little bit. And we go from that directly to the other antagonistic element. I don't know what we want to call them. They're the the, the dregs of Detroit. Let's just call them that. Clarence Bodiger, played by Kurtwood Smith. Leland Palmer from Twin Peaks. Uh, the one doctor from ER who got his arm cut off by a helicopter and two other guys. I call him the laughing hyena. They, yeah. You just have that hyena laugh. Yeah. So these are the guys. They're just they're just Robin Banks, whatever, and they come in contact with Murphy as you know. They're trying they're trying to stop him. So they end up at this derelict, abandoned factory, and they go in on their own. And I gotta tell you this, Matt. and I I, I want to ask you after I saw mm-hmm. first time I saw RoboCop. I was relatively young. I think maybe ten or eleven. Again, on TV, I saw a lot of movies for the first time on cable mm-hmm. with all the bits cut out. I remember on WGN yeah, at, on like 6 o'clock during the summer. And I remember this bit, and I swear they showed a little bit more than they would show today. This sequence, the murder of Alex Murphy, <sighs> this is a hard scene to watch even today. And again, talking about, you know, I've seen the extreme and I can handle a lot. But because they've made him pretty sympathetic already... This is difficult, than, you know, mocking him, saying, "Does it hurt? Does it hurt?" and give the guy a hand. And it's rough. Man, they put like they put like fifty bullets in him. It's it's a rough scene.
0: Yeah. So Weller and Allen show up at some abandoned factory mm-hmm. to try to bring this this gang <clears throat> to justice. Yep. They split up, which ends up being a fatal mistake, mm-hmm. and. Nancy Allen takes a header from the Laughing Hyena guy mm-hmm. that you were mentioning. I think that guy's name is Jesse Goins, mm. I think. Anyway, she takes a header. I think he shoots her actually, but she's got bulletproof vest mm-hmm. on. So she's sort of out of it. And then Weller's left to take all these guys on by themselves. And they get the they, you know, they get the jump on him. Mm-hmm. And you know, of all the shots he takes in that, mm-hmm. he takes a ton. Yeah. The one that's the worst. Is that first one. On the hand. Oh, my God. They just blow it to kingdom come. It is the most, I think, real depiction of what that would actually look like. Mm-hmm. Maybe we've ever seen in film up to that point in
1: 1987.
0: Yeah. And you're just like, oh, man, these dudes are not
1: messing around. Mm-hmm. It's an absolute execution. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. By some very despicable people led by Kurtwood Smith. And again, got to talk about him for just a second. I mostly associate him with comedy, playing Red Foreman on that '70s show. So that is the dad from that '70s. I've show. never seen him play, and oh my, he's just as despicable as Dick Jones. You're just waiting for this. These are just awful people, mm-hmm. and maybe that just embodies the spirit of Detroit at at in this film, right? Just really mean spirited criminals.
0: Just yeah, see, it even is shown in the TV shows that they all watch, and I don't mean the newscast. Yeah, that misogynistic. Ass clown that's got the glasses on and the receding hairline that's with plenty of lingerie-clad women, amply busty women. I'd buy that for a dollar, and way. it's just the get, it's like it's like Benny Hill yes. on steroids, yes. right? Yeah. Minus any element of humor that Benny Hill could ever fathom, mm-hmm. and everyone is just glued to it. Mm-hmm. I think there's four sequences where we see that show, and everyone is this little tiny you know ass clown with yes. these. Bucks some babes all around him and like, oh, <laughs> the
1: pie smashed on her boobs yep. right by
0: that. And they're just riveted.
1: Yeah. Everyone's watching and that. And that's the show. That's the show. That's all it's is. Yep. So we go from this execution.
0: There's 15 shots, 25, 35 shots, and finally uh Bodiger, I believe, is the,
1: the bad guy. Pops name. him in the head. Yeah. That's Boom, it. headshot. But he's still kind of alive, and the police try to try to save him. But through that, you know, we're kind of getting. You know They say you see the white light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. We're kind of seeing the flashes of his life. Yeah, Murphy's life, this sun. We get the twirling gun again. His- TJ Laser, which is another show, like this
0: street-level space
1: cop that yeah. they're watching. Right? Exactly, yeah. 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 And then the memories of the wife, but then his last images are of these guys killing him right. with Boddiger putting the last bullet in him. So, obviously dies, and we go to that to the startup screen of this machine. And we kind of get little glimpses until we have a full-blown RoboCop. So, this is where this gets a little interesting here. And the only thing they saved of Murphy, I think. (laughs) Not for long. Yeah. Was his... Right arm? Left arm. Yeah, the left arm. And then they lopped that off. Was his skin. His face skin. Yep. So, and maybe we'll get into this in in a little bit. So... He's the new element that's gonna bring justice to Detroit, fully equipped with a bunch of cool gadgets. You know, he's got this like gun. It's like a semi-automatic pistol mm-hmm. that just will just rip you to shreds. Right. Uh, he's got that, and when he's in the shooting range is when we first see elements of something. I would want to call it a some type of personality, a personality trait, with him twirling the gun as he puts it back into his leg holster, and Lewis sees this and is like. What is going on here? Yeah. Red alert. Red alert. Red alert. You crossed my line of death. You haven't dismantled your MX stockpile. Pakistan is threatening my border. That's it,
0: Buster. No more military aid. <laughs> Nuke them. Get them before they get you. Another quality home game from Butler Brothers.
1: So Robocop has three prime directives. Serve the public trust protect the innocent, uphold the law. The law. And these are his, much like, you know, the Terminator has his objective, kill Satakana. This is what RoboCop's going to do. This is all that he's built for. Yep. So, you know, as long as he does that, stays in line, you know, maybe it'll be a win for Detroit. And I love this. You know, we talked about the rule of three in screenwriting that you want to show a thing three times. We get three newscast segments. We get three commercials. Right, the to screen. keep
0: it from being like conspicuous or like just exactly. sort of Um,
1: contrived like you build it and then pay it off the tj laser the twirling gun we we see it three times right so robocop's first night out on detroit we get three different crimes this convenience store robbery this attempted rape which is which and and robocop's judge jury and executioner rolled into one i'll never forget when he shoots that through that girl's dress and that dude blows his penis off like horrible like was the last thing you you would you would want and then this hostage situation with this disgruntled city employee.
0: So with the the first night you're talking about when he's on the beat the guy that he kills in the convenience store he ends up blasting through uh like the uh, the convenience store freezer. Mm-hmm. Psh! Mm-hmm. And then I think as he's walking out he tells the woman mm-hmm. have a nice evening. Yep. And then the second one I think is the rape sequence or mm-hmm. the um, failed rape sequence yep. where He targets the bad guy through the dress of the woman who's being held at Mm gunpoint. In both of those, it gets to, I think, in the moment what sort of disguises like, oh, he's just kind of a general badass. It's almost like his one-liner. But it speaks to a larger hole in the movie, which is despite Bob Morton's attempts to remove the human element from the RoboCop, he can't quite do it. Yeah. So what we're going to see as the movie unfolds is the struggle between the directives that RoboCop has given and the role that they play or the conflict that they create Mm -hmm. with Peter Weller as still whatever vestige of man is still left. Yeah. And that those those three events you're talking about. I'll have an element of sass to them. I know mm-hmm. that sounds weird, sassy. Yeah. But it kind of is sassy. Yeah. And it show like a robot wouldn't do that. Yeah. A robot wouldn't leave him in the air. And it's almost like him saying, Have a nice night to the woman mm-hmm. is telling the criminal, like, fuck you. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And then like he could shoot that guy because he's got this high tech targeting laser yeah. system. He could shoot that bad guy anywhere. Where does he get him?
1: Right in the jump. Yeah. And then he tells the other one, Your move creep. Your move
0: creep. Yeah. And so what it ends up being is in, a, in an era where one-liners and action films mm-hmm. are all the rage. Yeah. Right. It shows that I think Bob Morton's attempts to remove all human elements from the robot cop mm-hmm. have failed. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be a big deal in about 20 minutes in the movie. <laughs> exactly. Okay.
1: So then the final one's this disgruntled city employee. Yeah. Who he just punches out the window, probably killing him too.
0: Isn't the mayor who's lost his office and is holding yeah. the rest of his staff? And at he's gunpoint? And, yeah. and he's
1: got demands. He um, he wants a bigger office. He wants a recount. Uh-huh. And no matter what the outcome of the recount is, he wants his old job back. But and a he, better car. He wants a better car. Something that's stylish, has leather seats, and gets really shitty gas mileage. Again, what about uh, cruise control? Yeah, does We'll come. throw that in too. Did you, did you catch the name of this car? It's the 6,000 suck SUX sucks. Yep. It's a car that literally sucks. Eight, yep. eight miles to the gallon. Yep. But these people don't care. This is the consumer element of of the film as well. Yeah. You know, I'll buy that for a dollar. I want that car that's about as shitty as it gets, but I like it because, you know, that's that's what everyone's got.
0: Mm-hmm. But it also speaks <clears throat> to the... Gr- uh, gratuitous might be a word here. Mm-hmm. It also speaks to the way justice is handled in the film. Yep. The gratuitous violence, and we'll get to some of those elements. Like, I like it, Mm -hmm. but the whole movie is done so over the top and gratuitously. It's definitely making a point Mm -hmm. that, think about this, in 1987, at the height of like big fisticuff brawler, hyper-masculine, testosterone-ridden action films, it fits, but it's also making a statement like, hey, a little subtlety might not be such a bad idea here because what it allows you to be here it is, mm-hmm. what Robocop also is, the slightest bit human
1: mm-hmm. well this is the perfect time for it because the very next scene, he's in his little throne yeah, whatever you want to call it yeah. and he starts twitching and like freaking out mm-hmm. and on the monitor that the two techs aren't paying attention to we get that image of Boddicker with the gun kind of coming in and out and it disappears just as they look but he's having a nightmare about his murder yeah. and it's setting him off. And so he takes off leaves, but not before running into officer Lewis who asks him, like, I didn't get a chance to talk to you, but like, I just want to say, you know, what's, what's, your name? what's do you have, your name? Do you have a, do you have a name? And she, through his inflection, the way he talks, she saw the twirling gun and she says, Murphy, it's you, isn't it? And he just kind of backs up and just keeps propelling forward. So we get that to the next piece of identity, which he finds one of these dregs of Detroit. I like this name. We should, I don't think they have an actual name, but I like calling them the dregs of Detroit. Yeah. To a gas station robbery of ER doctor. And he's going to kill him. And he says, dead or alive, you're coming with me, which is the exact same thing he told them right before he gets blown to bits in the factory. And this guy's like, wait a minute. I know you. You're dead. We killed you. And then he stops again before this crazy explosion. Now, I got to say real quick this movie's set in Detroit, but they filmed this movie in Dallas, Texas. So, this was an abandoned gas station. They actually caused quite a bit of a stir when they blew this gas station up. It was kind of all the authorities came. When it happened, they thought like something huge was going down. Hmm. What a great image of him coming out of the fire and shooting this gas tank. And he, he, the guy just goes flying off the motorcycle. I don't know how that didn't kill him. But now RoboCop's interest is peaked. So using his other tech item, the data spike, he goes into the, the police's main mainframe and starts looking up the guy he just caught. Yep. And known associates who get a rundown of the dregs. And then, boom, Boddiger. This guy he's been having nightmares of. No murders. And then, boom, 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 boom. Alex J. Murphy. Murphy, it's you, isn't it? And so, deceased. Big deceased right across his face. Deceased. So, then he gets to a really interesting moment that I I think... So, really talking about the human element. And, you know, when I tell people about Robocop... You know, oh, robot police officer. It sounds so stupid. Mm. This is why I believe this movie works, is these screenwriters... uh, uh, Newmyer and Miner put these human elements in. And I, okay, I want to ask you, Matt, because when I was watching it this time, I was concerned. I wanted to know how you were gonna take this because, as we've mentioned in podcast prior, Matt isn't a fan of the AI that becomes sentient. For some trying to become more human than human, now I gotta ask you, Matt. This is kind of the opposite, right? This is a human who's got memories of a past life who's now a robot how do you feel about that
0: i love it it to me that part you're getting to the part where he goes to his house yes which has now been put up for sale or foreclosed and the pots are knocked over and the uh, there's that mm-hmm. uh, world class dad coffee mug that's broken on the counter yep and it's this this previously sentient organism or being Trying to reclaim that which what technology has tried to take from him. <clears throat> and it completely works yeah. for me. Because we had claimed it prior to the technolo- technological takeover, if you will. Yeah. It, it's this really sort of nice moment where you get technology with the response from what he's remembering, which has to be vengeance. Mm-hmm. And how do you tackle now a whole other conflict of thread right like mm-hmm. a whole different like arc for him I'm supposed to have these four directives yeah uphold the plea. uphold the job blah, 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 mm-hmm. but I'm so pissed off because they took my wife who we found out has moved on and mm-hmm. she thought he was dead yes yeah. he was mm-hmm. his son he's gonna make these people pay but he still is struggling now against the restrictions that his programming has allowed so how does it work for me? It works on high. Okay. Because it's first sentient. Yeah. Reclaiming its human condition. Yeah. Having been lost through technology. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, I'm
1: with it totally. Cool. So now we go on to two separate um, little beats here. Murphy, or RoboCop, trying to hunt down these, these dregs, Leland Palmer in a bar and then at this drug factory. But then we get this rivalry of Dick Jones and Bob Morton fighting for supremacy of the future of OCP. And Jones has it out for Morton. And as we learn, he sends... OCP has been working with the dregs of society to do their bidding. So he said... To to make Old Detroit worse. Exactly. So that it makes
0: Delta City that much more sellable Mm -hmm. to the board of directors. Like, look at what a disaster this place is. Mm -hmm. And then... We get we don't quite get it yet. Maybe I shouldn't even say this yet. But what we're ultimately going to come to find out mm-hmm. is that Bob Jones is working with Bodiger mm-hmm. and basically forges this deal with the devil. That look, you do as I need you to do here, which is finish off Robocop. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you a full run of all the criminal activities that happen in Sell Delta City. Sell whatever
1: drugs you want, prostitution. This. I mean,
0: this this Bodiger and the dregs of Detroit yeah. literally have their hands in everything. Yep. Gambling, women, drugs, uh, robbery, like everything. Nothing is off limits for them. Yep. And so now, if you have essentially what's going to be the chief of the contracted justice system police force. Yeah. Working with you. Man. Talk about. Detroit's Fucked. Detroit is <laughs> fucked. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. How are you doing? Uh, uh, uh,
1: bitches leave. Uh. G, Poppy. Bye. You gonna call me? Oh my
0: god. Uh, the fuck are you doing?
1: So Clarence goes to Bob Morton's house, puts some bullets in him. Talk, you know, like... Yeah, the, and what, but like what happens in like another over-the-top way? Yeah. Two hookers... Yeah.
0: ...in a, a mound of cocaine, like their yeah. rivals like
1: Scarface. Cleavage cocaine. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he, he, he goes and kills him. But, and talk about the 80s. The 80s was the era of the blood squib. You know, think back to Lethal Weapon and all these films were there. When they get shot, they just like... All the blood just pops out. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he kills him and he puts on a little video of Dick Jones is saying like you put that Frankenstein monster he doesn't say that but you put that monster out on the streets he's like I just can't have that he's I'm like,
0: actually so glad you said that because I want to talk about that later but keep oh, on per- yeah me too actually okay. look at us
1: um, and he says I am cashing you out hmm. boom grenade kills Bob Morton so. wait th- again to the same thing Yeah,
0: he can't just shoot him Yeah, he's got to give him his eulogy through Bob Jones on a videotape yeah. and then a grenade yeah like again the over excess, the top, the, the, the ob-
1: militarization of everything. Mm-hmm. Over the top. The over the top of the violence. Yeah. So then we go from that to this uh, drug facility where Robocop shows up. <laughs> and I got to tell you, I don't know if you get, he must have killed like 20 people in this. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just shot after shot until only Bodiger's left. And we learn he's just beating him to a pulp and he utters the words, Dick Jones. Yeah. It was Dick Jones. He works for OCP. OCP runs the cops. You're a cop, and that kind of you know stops him from going any further. So directly from there to the office of OCP, because now he's going to turn this guy in because he's got submissible evidence against him for what he's done.
0: Right. Interdirective but four.
1: Interdirective four, which is RoboCop cannot arrest a senior officer of OCP. of OCP. Yeah. So he starts glitching again, much like his nightmare, and out comes the Ed two hundred and nine, and he just starts pummeling RoboCop. All the way out to the, you know, to the to the staircase, and then, almost like another se- massacre, the SWAT team of Detroit at this, you know, they're just they're just trying to destroy it now. And in comes Ann Lewis to the rescue. But this is to me where the film takes a very interesting turn into. A, I probably the, this is the last act of the movie at this point. At this point, the the cops are going on full strike. In Detroit, no one's showing up to work, and Ann Lewis takes Robocop. I thought this was very interesting, and I don't know what the reasoning was before it. She takes Robocop to where Alex Murphy died, and arguably, this is the, the rebirth of Murphy.
0: I want to get to that. Let me back up for one second. Go ahead. The sequence that ends the fight between Ed 209 and Robocop at mm-hmm. OCP headquarters is on a stairwell. Yeah. And I think what's really interesting in that is for all of the things, and we'll get to this at some point, for all of the reasons that I don't like Blade Runner. Yeah. One of the things that I find to be like the crowning moment in that movie mm-hmm. is Rutger Hauer's line, and you mentioned it earlier in the podcast more human than human. Yep. The fact that this Ed 209 cannot finish off. RoboCop, mm-hmm. because it can't navigate the stairs that is descending to a lower level, mm-hmm. speaks volumes about the necessity and therefore the sustainability of justice in the hands of the human element versus the blind technological element. Mm-hmm. It can't make it down the steps. Yep. And so what it's saying is gray, as far as elevation, like gray being like being able to dif- differentiate between good and bad, mm-hmm. is not discernible by Ed 209. And it feels for the steps and then trips. Yeah. And then falls and literally lays on the flight of, like in a, between. A squealing. Yeah. A tantrum. Yep. Squealing, kicking. And the human, or what's left of the human. Yep. Escapes. I mean, and also barely, because then they run out to a hail of gunfire from the other cops that have shown up to shoot him mm-hmm. and Nancy Allen as well. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really interesting moment in the film, because again, what he's saying is, maybe when it comes to justice... Mm-hmm. We don't need absolutes. Maybe there is a level of gray in this. Mm -hmm. Because this thing can't walk down the steps, get to the level, like make the changes that are necessary to adjust its foot pattern to move down the steps, our good guy gets away. I think that's a really cool moment. Mm -hmm. Okay, back to...
1: What you were saying, which is the rebirth, if you will, yeah. of Murphy, where this horrible crime took place—the murder of Alex Murphy—that
0: is weird. You know, I, until you said that, I hadn't snapped on that.
1: I didn't. I, I hadn't really snapped until I watched it this time. I was like, that's "That a- is
0: really interesting." Place for her to take him huh? yeah.
1: And it's literally where he demasks, and we, yeah. and now oh, good, Jesse. Yeah, we see the, the the face of Murphy. Yeah, and and that's where, and he's different now. Yeah, less robotic, a little more bit of of soul emerging from him. There you go. Right. So now here comes the dregs of society led by Bodiger, who have been tasked by Dick Jones to rid that thing off the streets. And they got a full arsenal. They got 50 cal rifles. They got it all. But man, Mer- RoboCop just, you know, dispenses of them. And in the best death of the whole movie, ER doctor. I love these names. We've come up for these people. Oh, yeah. Leland Palmer's about to get his in a second. Um,
0: That's Twin Peaks for those of you who don't know. Exactly. exactly
1: yeah. Um, this guy drives the van into a vat Ray of toxic wise. waste. Yeah. Yeah. And then emerges from the background, literally just like dissolving. His fingernails or his hands are just peel. His fingers are peel, melting. He's melting. And so he's walking the, the thing and Bodger just hits him with the car, decapitates him, crushes him all over his wind again. Wasn't it just enough for had to have him go through the toxic waste? No, the excess of Robocop... No, he's got to hit him with the car and just blow him up, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So then, yeah, then we get, you know, the, the final confrontation. Nancy Allen disposes of Leland Palmer, but not before Bodger puts, like, six or seven bullets in her. Yeah. She's bleeding out in in the mud. And, you know, Robocop's not doing so good. And he actually gets stabbed in the heart. The heart, whatever heart Robocop has at this point. A machine, a computer chip, I don't know.
0: Yeah.
1: Pulls out that data spike and, you know, lets Bodiger have it. Of anything, you know, I think this serves the massacre of Murphy well. Because that scene is so violent and so uncomfortable to watch, I think it makes the revenge element of Robocop that much better. That when these guys finally bite the bullet, man, is it satisfying. Like, very satisfying.
0: There's a line in that that's really important, too. <clears throat> so, Nancy Ellen having been shot to pieces. Mm-hmm by the dregs of Detroit yep. is laying there in the mud and she says, I'm not doing... Look at me, Murphy. I'm a mess. And what is the line that he tells her? They they'll, can... They'll, they'll put fix, you back together or they'll, they'll it, fix...
1: They'll fix you. Essentially saying... They fix everything.
0: Maybe you'll get to be a robot too.
1: Okay, I, Okay. so this is perfect. This is where my Frankenstein element comes in. Okay. So... Let's just talk about this right now. Okay, so the, the, the movie is ending on a very interesting note with a lot of Plot lines not wrapped up, and Lewis is blown, kind of blown to bits here. She's dying out. They're going on strike in Detroit. The city's in upheaval.
0: Yeah,
1: and then the movie's about to end in about four minutes. Actually,
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> there's so many great elements set up by the end of this film to be discussed in a sequel, RoboCop Two. Why didn't they kind of go that Bride of Frankenstein element with Lewis? So, real quick, the plot of RoboCop 2, you know, they continue a little bit of the strike element, but it's so underplayed. And the movie's called RoboCop 2, but OCP and the old man, they're trying to build a RoboCop 2 is what they're calling it. Yep. And they use this criminal's brain as the conduit. Why couldn't that have been Lewis, who then RoboCop has to fight once it goes rogue? Especially when you mentioned what you just said, the brain in Robocop two is used. Yeah.
0: I think that's where they were going. Yeah. It had to have been. Yeah. It was set up for That's that. perfect. Especially because we we know that he's lonely. Mm-hmm. She's clearly taken a shine to him. Mm-hmm. They didn't pick a female partner for the purpose any other than some element of underplayed romantic until it gets overplayed in the sequel. Yeah. I don't know. Like, Verhoeven's not on for Robocop no, 2. No, he's not.
1: And that's pro- that might be the problem. And I
0: think the whole, like, what was... Probably, look, if this movie makes money, then we have set it up for a sequel and here's how it will go. But the problem is, like, he's not on. Mm-hmm. And so they're just like, okay, well, let's just get it out. Now, they got the cast basically back. Mm-hmm. Essentially, most of the cast.
1: But we open up in Lewis's... Was fine at that point. All repaired. Shot to hell, but she somehow ends up okay. Yeah, she. I. I feel like that was a missed element. But or, let me ask you a question. Okay. I know that we love, <coughs> you and I
0: both, appreciate Frankenstein and Bride. Yeah. Like, in all the totality mm-hmm. for what it, that is. Is that a good movie? like male and female RoboCops. I think I, I, I don't okay, know, I think man. maybe
1: maybe the way it's executed, it's, the way it's done.
0: I think it's interesting in this space where you and I are right now yeah. cerebrally on film. What are they going to make her Jesse like what
1: like uh, they l- could okay, so in RoboCop 2 it's a gigantic, it's like twice the size of regular RoboCop with claws. It's got a different look. And they use the brain and the spinal cord. Mm-hmm. For the, they could have done the same thing. They could have just used Lewis's brain and spinal cord cuz that's all that was going to survive. They could have gone that route. There was just more character-wise at play if they did that. I just think that was a missed opportunity.
0: I don't think I disagree with you. I just, as we're sitting here talking about this now, because I I sort of had this discussion with myself. Sure. Maybe. But the element in, in Robo, or like in Bride and Frankenstein, is her being abhorrently repulsed by the side of who is set to be sure, yeah. her partner. Yeah. And that's that's the best part of the film, right? Mm-hmm. Like, she shrieks. Yeah. I don't think Nancy Allen's going to freak out at Peter Weller. I think they're going to be together. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think, yeah. yes, I think I want sure. that too. Yeah. I want, certainly more than what RoboCop
1: mm-hmm. 2 was. You know, and this is an interesting element. You know who wrote the screenplay and the story for RoboCop 2? No. Frank Miller. Are you kidding me? I'm not joking, no. The Frank Miller. Sin City? hmm I had no idea. Whoops. That movie's a disaster. I can honestly see why Peter Weller bailed after that. Because then the other element that's set up is the upheaval in Detroit, which you know, they kind of tackle, but that's kind of a big deal. There. They're trying to get this shit under control before Delta City's going to happen. And you got cops on strike, and it's really Robocop. He's the only one doing work. Like, they could have done more with that. And then the biggest crime, they didn't play enough with. Now that Murphy, Robocop, has some self-awareness of mm-hmm. this past life. Right. I'm gonna go track down wife and son. And they do do a little bit, but th- there's a yeah. lot, th- there's a lot there to be explored.
0: No, especially in the way the movie just
1: <laughs> ends. Mm-hmm. Like there's no real closure. It's just <laughs> movie's out. Well, let's talk about the ending. He goes to OCP at this point. Uh, you know, Dick Jones takes the old man hostage because he plays the Bob Morton footage with his data spike, and he can't act on him because of directive force, so the old man Brilliantly goes, Dick, you're fired. And he shoots Dick Jones out the window. Get the twirl again one last time. And he's like, good shooting, son. What's your name? And collectively, you know, you know what he's going to say. Murphy. And at this point, I think the character arc of Murphy is complete. Yeah. We go from pariah, murder, reborn, resurrection to reclaiming your life. Very similar to, to, you know, Paul Verhoeven's a very Christian man, too. Yes. Uh, surprising, being that he made films like Showgirls and Basic Instinct, mm-hmm. um, in this time span to you know reclaim that, reclaim that identity. Now well,
0: that resurrection of the better version of myself <clears throat> is also a pretty standard staple to most heroes in comics. Yep, the good guy or the, who will be the hero goes through an element of death. And then is reborn unto themselves with the imbued powers of the radioactive spider or whatever the heck it might be, right? Yep. Um, and so clearly we're following that, that lineage. And then if you want to play it even further, it does give even more question to why RoboCop 2 isn't what we said. Because like what RoboCop 2 wasn't what Bride was to Frankenstein. Because yep. that whole movie is based on like playing God. Like man versus yep. God, and Verhoeven is not asleep at the wheel on that nope. theme either. I don't know how I feel about the line of "What's your name, son, Murphy." I know that it's him reclaiming his human side. For me, at that point, we'd already seen enough of that.
1: Yeah,
0: a robot wouldn't execute the way Murphy executes. Yeah, it would just like and that scene in the convenience store that I previously mentioned. Yeah, it's sassy. It's like fuck you, mm-hmm. right? There's still the 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 vengeance part of me that has to be quelled that I can't sate. Yep. So that's why I'm doing it this way instead of just putting him in cuffs. Yep. Okay, so I already had that. Is the line better if it's RoboCop? What's your name, son? RoboCop. Because think about that. What that means to me <laughs> that's hard. is he that's... gets to hide behind the facade yeah. of that and then do what he wants to do.
1: As the human element. As Murphy. Right. I think that yeah, there's something to play with like. Again, talking about when we do sour mash. Yeah. When something sucks okay. and we take the best elements to fix that. Yeah. I'm talking about a Robocop two where, you know, they play on these elements a little bit more. The human aspect of Murphy. A more, you know, a better version of the route they go with Lewis. And especially the the wife and son bit.
0: Yeah.
1: I think there's a lot to play with there that this again We talked about basketball metaphors, the alley-oop of Unbreakable and Split with Glass. That was kind of, you know... Rimrocked. Kind of rimrocked, yeah. Yeah. Um, This kind of did the same thing. Mm -hmm. It was like, okay, here, whether you make a sequel or not, we're giving you everything you need. What are you going to do with that? And I don't know what the hell Frank Miller did. The last two weeks we've talked about the franchises past this initial entry. I don't even want to waste nope. the listener's time talking about Robocop 2 and the atrocious 3% on Rotten Tomatoes, Robocop 3. And we already mentioned the remake, so better left unsaid. Yeah. So um let's kind of wrap it up with um, you know, the ratings. Again, our rating system: rock call, well, single barrel, and top shelf. So, Matt, how do you rate RoboCop? Call Plus,
0: uh, unfortunately, like a lot of that stuff from that era, the graphics didn't help, don't hold up as well. And again, that's not a fault of the movie. That's more a fault of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the five, six of this movie that you and I are singing its praises, the I actually don't like the way Bodiger buys it in the end of this film. With the data spike. I don't mind the data spike in his neck. Yeah. I think it could be more meaningful. If he's not pinned underneath the debris that's dropped from a crane by Leland Palmer, Ray Wise. Yep. Like that's silly. Yeah. Right? He's just sort of pinned under there. And then he just stabs him in the neck. Like there should be a more meaningful execution, if you will, Mm -hmm. to the way that Bodiger goes out. And then the way we finish with what you said, I want the last line in that movie to be Robocop. Um, and that keeps it, for me, from being in an era of a genre, yeah. what could be single barrel, to call plus. Yeah. There's a lot of really cool themes that Verhoeven's playing with. Mm-hmm. And again, it's an action movie. Yeah. So we don't want to make it too cerebral. We can't make those themes so heavy that it drives because, into because a it, social commentary. Because that's not really the film, but because it the, still does it. Yeah.
1: Enough. Because then it becomes Blade Runner and then you're running, Jesus, you're, he, you're running for the hills at that I, point. I,
0: I'm out. I'm out after 20 minutes of sleep. Yeah. yeah at least we... Uh, don't even get me started on that. Yeah. Maybe we can put a picture in the computer and spend 20 minutes getting to the top left corner to get the call number on a fucking fish scale.
1: hence 64 by 55. Oh my
0: God, Jesse. Kill me. <laughs> me. Stop.
1: Yeah. Uh, Blade Runner. Okay. Um,
0: Call Plus. Okay. Okay. No, did I say Call Plus? Yeah, Call Plus. Okay. Okay.
1: Now, what sparked this whole cask, this Corporation from Hell, was I took a science fiction film class in college. And this was one of the movies we watched. Wow. And when we watched it, I had seen it before. Yeah. But now knowing about the corporation, I saw it in a different way. And I saw how, you know, relevant it was to the 1980s. But maybe, you know, relevant to just different decades of, you know, how the U.S. just goes through its own struggles with this and that whatever economy crime consumerism, politics yeah exactly um,
0: gentrification like you said yeah yeah those are big ideas
1: very big ideas so so there's a half of me that is that teeters with almost putting robocop in top shelf wow but then there's the other half of me that's kind of bringing it back down to reality this is a film that's very smart with its ideas that kind of almost doesn't have any business being this smart at its core, is well this, said. this is a movie about a robot police officer with ideas of consumerism, privatization, gentrification, um, media influence. And any one of those would make any movie very thematically like deep. I mean, we, we get all of that in this movie with a very great villain, two great villains, you know, the Dregs and then O.C.P., I think coupled with a very great performance by Peter Weller. I mean, body language can't be understated. It's the reason that in Halloween 1, Michael moved with the grace of a dancer from scene to scene. And in the subsequent sequels played by a stuntman, he looks like a robot. Yeah. There's something to that. Again, this is the emergence of Paul Verhoeven, who gets off on, I think, violence. Like Basic instinct opens with this graphic face ice pick scene like the dude loves it but loves it with a purpose i think it serves the story as a whole it's not it's not there just to be there so you know because of that you know and and this one movie i'm gonna go single barrel with this one much like last week with the terminator forget everything else that comes past this this is a really smartly written movie masterfully acted great and the violence again over the top to the point of comedic qualities uh i'm going to go robocop single barrel
0: i wonder it's pretty <clears throat> high bark from you and again mine sure. is not that far behind that mm-hmm. single barrel to me has an element of uniqueness mm-hmm. and um iconic uh sort of status and film to it and yeah. i think this has that in some ways because everyone knows who robocop is yeah i wonder like in the space where you and i are as we sit here you know playing film snob and breaking down theory yeah I wonder if Verhoeven knew exactly how many of the isms, if you will, gentrification, that's not an Mm -hmm. ism, but consumerism, Mm -hmm. industrialism, Mm -hmm. militarism, blah, 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 blah. He was really tackling. And did he know it or did he just luck into it?
1: I wonder. I wonder if that's the screenplay, the direction, or just... It's got to be one of the two or maybe a combo of the two. Because I think, like, as you and I sit here and break it
0: down, I can defend, here's the violence and here's what it means to it. And here's the the lack of reverence for life that is a common theme in this film. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if, I'd love to hear him say, when we sat down to make this movie, mm-hmm. you know, we had the pep rally and he said, this movie is about, like, when you and I sit down to write, we say, this movie's about family or this movie's about vengeance. Mm-hmm. Did he say, this movie is about... Gentrification, consumerism, militarization, uh, justice, uh, m- propaganda. Yep. Or did he just say, "Let's just show a like really fucked up cross section of society yeah. and do it over the top, and in so doing,
1: those themes came out."
0: Yeah, because I think that's I don't know either master or lucky.
1: Paul Verhoeven, if you're listening to this, Matt, Call will, us. Matt and I will will. Uh, Take you to the bar. We'll buy you a, a drink of rye. Indeed. And uh, tell us which one it was, because yeah, I'm very curious. Again, the movie that has kind of no business being this smart. Right. Last week, the termin the Terminator doesn't come close to no. these themes. No, not no. even close. You know, Alien maybe a, a different sex. Right. Versus you know all these these uh, this, but, these isms. I like how you said that. Yeah.
0: One 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 theme in Alien.
1: Mm-hmm. Sex. Yeah.
0: I'm not really sure what the theme in Terminator is. Like, I'm not really sure what that single theme is. Yeah, This has got six or seven that are, like you said, you couldn't do them bigger than they did in this movie because it would steal from the action of RoboCop. Yep. But there's enough of a tease there that I find it really intriguing. And truthfully, that's what saves the film for me. Yeah. Because if it's just the movie about this, like the lines (laughs) are pretty wooden at times and like... I love Clarence Bodiger as a bad guy, but I almost love him because he's so unbelievable that that would be yeah. the dregs of Detroit's leader. Yeah. Like, that's the dude who gets hit in the face in first grade in Dodgeball and never recovered. I mean, that's that guy. You <laughs> I'm know? just
1: waiting for him to say he's going to put his foot up someone's ass. Like, Sideways, he, yeah. Yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. Like Eric Foreman. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, excellent. Yeah. If, if you guys haven't, if you're listening and you haven't seen Robocop, Please seek it out. Yeah. It's worth your time. It is. Well, excellent. So, before we head out for the week, uh, we're going to pour one more and have a a little nightcap. And the question for this week, you know, thinking about RoboCop, again, Matt, I'm a music guy. Yeah, you are. But we're both music guys, you know, to to, to many different extents. RoboCop has a really great theme. I call it the RoboCop March. Mm Mm-hmm. Bum, 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 bum. and when it's very it's in the drug scene when he's blowing 20 people away it's very heroic so thinking about character themes and there's been a lot of great ones throughout film history Indiana Jones B- Batman The Avengers like thinking about character themes what is your favorite or what do you think the best character theme is?
0: Rocky is gonna fly now hmm Anytime I'm having a hard day getting it going, I actually have it on my iTunes, Mm -hmm. and I'll just bust it out, and away we go. There you go. Uh, I'm sure we'll get to that at some point, Mm -hmm. but the legacy of that franchise for me is vast, and that's an understatement. Mm -hmm. But that song comes on, and I don't want to say you want (coughs) to go to the gym, but whatever version of the gym is that day, that sort of unconquerable or semi-conquerable challenge. Yeah becomes all the more doable because man, he was running with fifty kids behind him in the streets of Philadelphia. Oh my
1: gosh, so cool! Don't
0: you want that? Yeah. He made that song. This is going to sound so ridiculous, but I mean this. Mm-hmm. That song makes me want to be a better man. Mm-hmm. So there you go.
1: Nice. That's a that's a I, the Rocky music just in general just makes you kind of like want to like work out and just like go for a run and just embrace the underdog in all of us. Yeah. It's a really great heroic theme, even even you know, so the one with the words gonna fly now, flying high now, yeah, yeah. Like, it's it's great, it's totally great, yeah, excellent. Okay, so I, I had a real hard time with this one. Okay. This is my question, I stumped myself actually, yeah. So, there is one character theme, I think you think you might think I'm going Elfman's Batman, which I almost did, yeah, another great character march. I'm going with. You know, the seminal composer of the 20th century, John Williams. John Williams. And in my opinion, disagree with me. People will. I don't care. Um, His best score is for 1978's Superman. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, he had done Star Wars. He he was going to do Indiana Jones. I thought you were going to drop a Jaws on me. (laughs) Yeah, almost. The difference between Star Wars and Indiana Jones compared to Superman is those, the latter two or the, the former two are original ideas. So whatever music you compose there, if it's catchy, the audience is going to accept it. Dun, 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 dun. Superman was a property that had been around for 50 ish years. Mm-hmm. Superman had to have the music and it had to work. If it didn't work, I don't think any of that works. So John Williams composes this very eloquent theme. Dun, da, dun, da, 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 dun. Literally a theme that says, Superman. Ba, 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 ba. It, it's, it almost, through music, says the title of the movie. And it's very heroic. It's that call to action. And whenever you hear that, bump dum bum, ba, bum, ba, bum it, Yeah. I think this is it. We're going to play it for you guys.
0: Come on, baby, play.
1: Perfect. I'm thinking Christopher Reeves. The Blue Letters shooting yeah. out at you. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a legacy. It's the reason. As much as I love Hans Zimmer as a composer, why it doesn't work in Man of Steel. It's missing that heroic element, that march that says the name. So, I got to pick John Williams. And it's my favorite of his scores. And that's saying something. Yeah, it is. Yes, it it really is. If you
0: know Jesse, it really is saying something.
1: Yeah. So, John Williams, Superman, March.
0: That's a terrific choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really good.
1: Well, excellent. I think this has been a very... What what a way to cap off this cast with this film and this discussion of Robocop. So, let's let the listeners know what's coming up on the horizon. So... On April sixth, we are getting a new version. Talk about a a reemergence of of the guy too, Stephen King, Mm -hmm. of his of his works. It, Dark Tower, and maybe that didn't work, but he's kind of popular again. Mm -hmm. In April sixth, we're getting a new version of Pet Cemetery, and you know it was previously done in nineteen eighty nine. But what a perfect time to kind of build up to Pet Cemetery on April sixth with a look at. The horror, some horror films of King, and we're calling this cask King's Landing. This is something we can come back to this like five or six times. Yeah, wait till we do maximum overdrive. Like, (laughs) (laughs) but we're gonna start with the film and book that started it all 1976's Carrie Carrie. by director Brian De Palma. Yep, This this is a big movie, like. For the adaptation, I think it helped propel King's popularity through the '70s and into the '80s. So I can't wait to talk about this movie. Piper Laurie, Sissy Spacek, going to bring up Pepper Laurie, Nancy Allen again. We got like we got themes going. Like we got like little connections that lead us into the next (laughs) casts. Paul Verhoeven
0: was probably a PA on set for this film too. (laughs) He probably was. (laughs) Yeah, but
1: John Travolta, Amy Irving. it's our first chance to talk about Brian De Palma, and I can't wait to talk about this guy. Me either. Okay, so excellent. So you guys got that coming to you next week. So before we head out for the week, raise it up. Cheers, Matt. Cheers, Jesse. I want to salute three people this week. Hmm. I want to salute H.R. Giger, Stan Winston, and for RoboCop, who designed the suit and all the gore effects, Rob Bottin, who had done the work on The Thing and The Howling, for giving us three iconic... Film characters from the 80s, the Robocop, the T eight hundred, and the Alien. What a cool, what a cool decade. What three legendary and they've they've stood the test of time. Yeah. Whether the films have aged well or not, you recognize those iconic images. So cheers to those guys right there. And cheers to the listeners. And we would like uh, to thank you for your cooperation. As we say, good night. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay in the know for future episodes. And be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Play Music, and leave us an email at rysmileproductions at gmail.com. RoboCop is property of Orion Pictures and MGM Pictures, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, Cheers.
0: Drop it. Dead or alive, you are coming with
1: me. I know you. You're dead.
0: We killed you. We killed you. We killed you.